You know, I, I believe that there is a word from God. Uh, I shared it this morning, but how many of you know that there is a different anointing on the same message? Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me because I'm going to jump right into this text today. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I have it on the screen because I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Translation because there is some texture in this translation that I believe is very important for what God wants to say to us today. So uh, the Word of God reads, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. I want to make sure that my remote is working because I want you to be able to follow with me. There we go. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But, say but. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Last verse 23, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Heavenly Father God, we, we come to you today as a people in need of a word, God. We need a word for us today, God, to challenge us, God, to convict us, God, to cause us to confront ourselves, God. We need your word because within your word is the opportunity for transformation. Your word declares that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And renewing our minds begins by implanting your word within our minds, God. So I ask today that you use me as a vessel, Father. I decrease entirely. Holy Spirit, increase within me. Use my lips, God, to declare today the word that you have prepared for this house. May your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. 
So I, I was born in uh, the summer of 1982. And I was born to a mother who had been diagnosed with severe mental illness at a young age. When she was in the third grade, she got angry and she threw a teacher down a flight of stairs and she was expelled from school in the third grade. My mother and my father had been married for about 15 years when she found out she was pregnant. Now my mother never wanted to have children. She thought that children would be a burden. So when she found out she was pregnant with me, she cried and she was angry. She was angry at the prospect of having a child basically cramp her style. Now, my father, on the other hand, he was so elated. He was excited to finally have a child, finally get to become a father. But about six months into my mother's pregnancy, he started to experience severe stomach pain. And so he went to the doctor and he asked the doctor to run some tests so he could understand what was happening inside of him. And when the tests came back, he was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer. He was given six months to live. Imagine that. In an instant, my father went from the height of excitement at finally having a child to the realization that he would never see me graduate, he would never walk me down the aisle. And to make matters even worse, he knew that the prospect of me being raised in a home that was stable and loving with a mother like my mom was probably not going to happen. Their marriage was very rocky, very tumultuous. It was defined by violence. My mother would get angry and she would disappear for weeks. She would throw things at walls. And so he knew that once he was gone, I would not be safe. And so imagine all of this falling on his shoulders. My father struggled very, very hard. He fought very hard. And even though he was only given six months to live, he actually lived until two months shy of my second birthday. But shortly after the funeral, my mother decided to move us away from her family and his family, following after a guy she barely knew to Florida. Now, mind you, this guy said that he was going to take care of her, he was going to take care of me, everything would be fine. But the relationship basically blew up right after she got to Florida. And so over the course of about two years, my mother had a string of boyfriends, men that came in and out of her life, and as a result, in and out of my life, until finally she settled on a guy who became her live-in boyfriend. I was about five years old, and that's when the abuse began. Now, to the outside world, I was just a regular kid. Nobody knew what was happening at home. Nobody understood the depth of what I was experiencing at home. I would show up to school and I would be hyperactive. Uh, teachers called me disruptive. I was labeled a problem child. They didn't know what was happening to me, but I will never forget when I was around five years old, my mother's boyfriend started to hold me too close to him, too tight for too long when she wasn't around. And I didn't understand what he was doing, but I, I felt in myself that there was something I should be worried about. And so when she told me not too long after that, that she had to go out of town for a few days and she was gonna leave me with her boyfriend, I was scared because something in me told me I could not trust him. And so at five years old, I locked my bedroom door at night in order to keep him out. But I learned that unfortunately, a straightened wire hanger can be used to pick the lock. And so between the ages of five and 12, 
I was abused and my mother knew about it because I told her what he was doing to me. And she actually had him arrested once and I was so excited when he was gone. But about six months into his sentence, she pulled me out on the back porch and she asked me, she said, listen, uh, we need some, some money in this house and I'm thinking about bringing David back. What do you think about that? I said, I don't want him to come back. And she looked at me and she said, well, I'm an adult and I make the decision so he's coming back. And she left me on that porch by myself and walked in the house and closed the door behind her. And that exact experience became the metaphor for my entire childhood because I was left alone. Now, when I was in the sixth grade, a classmate came to me and invited me to go to church with her. At that point, I had never heard of church, never heard of God, never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Bible. I was 11 years old. I had never heard of any of this. I didn't know what to expect, but I remember when I first showed up at that church, people immediately loved me. They welcomed me. They didn't know anything about me. They didn't know that by the time I was 11, I had already attempted suicide twice. They didn't know that but they loved me just because I was there. I'm gonna put a pin in this story for a moment just to tell you, when people walk in these doors, you don't know what they are carrying. Be very careful. Sometimes we get into this mold of church, the program. Church is not a program, church is a people. When Jesus comes back for the church, he's coming back for a people, not a building. So when you see somebody walk in and they're kind of keeping to themselves, give them a hug. Tell them good morning. Let them know that you see them. Because if it had not been for these people who didn't even know me, seeing me, I don't know where I would be. It's nothing but the love of God. These people helped me understand who I was because the very first message that I ever heard was preached that Sunday. The preacher said, God is a father to the fatherless. I didn't know who God was, but when he said God is a father to the fatherless and I wanted my father, I remember many nights I would cry and say, Daddy, where are you? But because I learned that God was my father, then I knew I needed to know who this father was. It was through understanding who God had created me to be that I finally understood that what happened to me is not who I am. What happens to you is not who you are. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Why, why does this matter? And what does this have to do with the text that I, I read earlier? So when I stand here before you today, I don't want you to see my ministry titles, I don't want you to see my position at Facebook, I want you to see me. I am just a woman. I am a human being who God has chosen and appointed to speak into your life today. All that other stuff doesn't matter. And so many times we hide behind all of that and we allow all of that to become our identity. See, because of what happened to me as a child, I didn't know my intrinsic value. I didn't know who I was on the inside. And since I didn't know who I was on the inside, I looked to things on the outside to give me value and give me worth. My heart hurt so deeply that there were times that the only thing that would make me feel good about myself is having somebody tell me I'm pretty. 
But here's the thing about somebody telling you that you're pretty. It's a compliment that'll make you feel good in the moment. But what I have come to discover is that a compliment won't keep you. It won't keep you. So many times we do the things we do because we're really yearning for something more. A compliment won't keep you. And so today, for those of you that take notes, I'm gonna speak to you from a subject wanting likes, needing love. See, here's what I know because I work in social media. When I was younger and I first started to get on social media, uh, I would post things for the very purpose of people liking them, commenting on them. Because when people liked it, I started to feel good about myself. It made me feel like I mattered, like I was worthy. But what I've come to discover is that people liking me does not translate to people loving me. Like and love are not the same. And we have them so confused. And I will even say that sometimes on social media, having those emoticons and the heart, oh, I love this and all, it's like, no, 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 you don't love anything. We've gotten to the place where I've seen people post about being in crisis, where they need help, and all somebody will do is say, oh, sad face. Is that what's going to change the situation? No, reach out to the person and meet their need. But social media has become this momentary gratification. So what God is wanting us to understand today is that even though we may want likes, we may want the approval of people, we really need love. God does everything perfectly. When I was uh, speaking in Charlotte, North Carolina, I had just finished speaking, I was flying to Atlanta, uh, and I was in the air and I was working on something when the Holy Spirit began to speak this message to me. Now here's what's amazing. At that moment, I didn't have a speaking engagement on my calendar that this fit for. I didn't. But I landed in Atlanta and I turned my cell service on and my assistant had texted me. She said, check your email. And I checked my email and there was an invitation to speak at this conference. And the reason I'm telling you this is because even before I had this conference on my mind, the Holy Spirit had you on his mind. He knew what you needed to hear today because there are people who look so good in here. Y'all all look so good, but your heart is broken. God wants your heart to be repaired today. And that is why I'm here. I'm not here to, to tickle anybody's ears. I'm here with the hope that God will repair broken hearts. And only true love can do that. Working for Facebook, I'm very keenly attuned to the impact that social media has on people. But what I want you to understand is there are people who say, oh, social media is bad. No, no, no. Social media is a vehicle. It's just a vehicle. The only power social media has is according to the heart of the driver. It's just like all of these cars out here. If you got in any one of these cars, it could either take you home or it could take you to one of the 3,000 strip clubs along the highway. It depends on what's in your heart. So the thing about social media is it's both a mask and a revealer. We can get behind uh, a profile and we can create an image of who we are, but it also reveals the depth of our brokenness. I know of people personally 
who will post about all the great places they've been, all of the fancy cars they drive, all of the great food they're eating. They'll post about their luxury handbags and they are sleeping on the couch of somebody they don't even know because they got evicted from their apartment. But they have created this fiction. And then what do we do? We compare our lives to the fiction. And then we start to feel inadequate. I don't want any of you, my sisters, to be so enamored with the fiction of another person's life that you forget who you are. And you forget who God has created you to be. So today, when we get into our text, I'm going to actually begin at the end. I'm going to give you the last verse because that verse provides a lot of important context for what I want to share later. Verse 23 says, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness, and bound by iniquity. First of all, Peter is probably my favorite uh, disciple. He really is, because Peter, y'all, God is still working on me. Peter was the one who would get down with you. He didn't pull no punches. He didn't, no, he didn't care. He was like, what you mean you coming to get Jesus? Hold up, let me get, you know, Peter was, let me tell you, everybody needs a Peter on your team. Peter said to Simon, he didn't say it nice either. He said, you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then he dropped the mic and just walked away. (laughs) So let me unpack this for just a little bit because there's something that we need to understand here. So I looked up the definition of poison. Now, mind you, I studied microbiology and cell science undergrad, and so I know what poison is, but I felt led to really see how it was defined. And there are several definitions of the word, but the one that I found the most interesting is a substance that inhibits the activity of another substance or the course of a reaction or a process. A poison is something that inhibits a course of reaction or a process. In other words, when we're poisoned, that which poisons us interferes with something that should be naturally occurring within us. I need to place a pin right here. There are some of us that are trying to live right But the reason why we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over and over again is because there is a toxin, there is a poison of unrighteousness working within us that is counteracting the process of righteousness. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, it's time to get free. It's time to get free. Now, to make this point clearer, I researched the science behind fatal snake bites. I wanted to understand, how does venom work? How does venom actually poison the human body? Well, so there are two ways that that happens. One way is it will attack our cardiovascular system, and another way is it will attack our nervous system. Now, our cardiovascular system is our blood, it's our heart, okay? When poison and venom attacks our cardiovascular system, it can make our blood pressure go up, it can make our blood pressure go down, it can prevent bleeding, or it can create bleeding. When it attacks our nervous system, which is our nerves, it's our muscles, it can cause paralysis. Now, the way that it attacks our nervous system is it starts at the head, it starts at the top, and then it works its way down. So that if it is left untreated, it will actually paralyze our diaphragm and you cannot breathe. So, listen, poison is serious. It's deadly. When poison is left untreated, it will kill you. Some of us sitting in here today 
are bitter over what someone did or did not do. And as a result of that, the righteousness of God that should be operating in your life has been tampered with. And the flow of righteousness that should be coursing throughout every spiritual vein that you have has been prevented. God is saying that today we need to get an antidote. We need an antidote to poisoning. The bitterness that is within us is causing us to fail God every single day. When Peter says in verse 23 that Simon is bound by iniquity, the, verse, the word iniquity there is the Greek word adikia, which means unrighteousness of heart and life. So when we take it together, when we say you are bound, you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, what he is saying is that the, the bitterness in Simon's heart created unrighteousness in his life. And so the reason why many of us keep making the same mistakes over and over again is because the root of bitterness in our heart is bringing forth the fruit of unrighteousness in our life. The only antidote to bitterness is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Hear me when I tell you what happened to me as a child. There is no way I could be standing here before you today if I had not forgiven the people who offended me. And we are walking around carrying this, thinking that we're hurting them. But let me tell you what bitterness is. Bitterness is literally drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill the other person. Bitterness is saying, well, if I just hold on to this, they're going to be sorry for what they did. No, baby, they are walking around okay with what happened. They are sleeping good at night while you are tossing and turning and your relationships aren't working. God is saying the reason why you cannot get free is because you will not forgive. It's time to get free. And how many of you know that forgiveness is a choice? We make the decision. Verse 9 says, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. What I have come to discover is that apart from God, our heart is literally like a boat with a hole in it, sitting in the middle wow. of a river. Wow. It keeps taking on water, and it keeps sinking lower and lower, and what do we try to do? We try to patch the hole. Well, let me just you know, take some paper towels and put that in there. Let me, let me see if I can grab this old T-shirt over here and, and put that in there. We, we, we try to go to all these different things to try to fix the hole, but the only way to fix the hole is to take it to a boat repair shop. Now, what some of us do is we take it to the car repair shop and we say, hey, look, uh, I got a hole in this here boat. How long will it take you to fix it? Let me make this point real, sisters. We have brokenness in our heart and so we're looking to a man to fix it. We're looking to a man to repair our broken heart. What I've come to discover that only God can repair hearts. You need a skilled craftsman to repair that which is broken. And how can a man repair something he's never created? He doesn't know the anatomy. He doesn't know the physiology. 
He cannot repair you. But we look to them to make us feel better about ourselves. We want to feel pretty. We're seeking the approval of people to fill the emptiness inside of us. And I'm going to make a comment here. I pray that you receive what I'm about to say. This is for the fellas. Many times you will see a man who is with woman after woman after woman after woman. And we women get upset because we're like, oh, he's not, he's not being faithful to me. The issue is not that he's not faithful to you. He doesn't know how to be faithful to himself. So when you see a man who cannot be faithful to you, sister, it is not your job to fix him because you cannot. The only thing that can fix a broken heart is the power of God. But we have come to believe that if we just look cute enough, if we just smile big enough, that somehow the compliment will make us feel good. And it does for a moment, but let me tell you something. God is the only certified licensed heart mechanic in the universe. He's it. And unlike when you take, I have a nice car, y'all. Listen, I have a nice car. I love my car. I do, I, I, I really, I picked out the car I wanted, the color, everything. And when I take it to the shop, even though it's under a maintenance agreement, I always end up paying something for it. And my husband always gets upset because he's like, why did we pay all this money for a maintenance agreement and then y'all still charging me $100, $200 to fix this car? Here's the thing about God. Not only is God the only certified licensed heart mechanic in the universe, but he already paid the price for the repair work. He did it. He did it. He paid the price. Knowing that we would reject him, knowing that we would fail him, he looked at us at our worst and still said, I choose you. So sisters, hear me today. It's not a question of whether or not you are beautiful enough or important enough. God said, not only are you important, you are worth dying for. He got on the cross with you in mind because he loves you and he wants you to understand the value that you have. People often think that bitterness is anger, but what I've come to discover is that anger is a symptom of bitterness, but it is not the definition of bitterness. The root of bitterness is inadequacy. Bitterness tells us, oh, you know what? I will never be anything. I will never have anything. Everyone has it better than me. That life is not fair. Bitterness speaks against who we are in God that you don't matter, that you have no worth. And bitterness will make you look at other people and tell other people, oh, you think you this, you think you that. No, let me tell you, you think they're that. And because you are saying that to them, you are revealing your inadequacy. Bitterness is not anger, it is inadequacy. God came to restore our hearts to a place of wholeness so that we will know that not only are we adequate, but we are excellent in him. I want us to focus on verse 11 for just a moment because we're going to dig a little bit deeper in the time I have remaining. Verse 11 says, and they heeded him because he had astonished them 
with his sorceries for a long time. There was a study done where they looked at about 24,000 people. They tried to understand what is the effect of social media on people. And they looked at people between the ages of 16 and 88. And what they found is that of all the people they surveyed, it was women and girls who were most likely to be adversely affected by social media. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is it was women and girls who were most likely to be depressed or have anxiety if they didn't get enough likes on their post. It was women and girls who were most likely to take down a post if they didn't get likes in a certain period of time. I know nobody knows anything about that in here, but that's what some people uh, do. And so what I came to tell you, the reason why I believe this message is for you women and men is because there are some of us who are taking our stock in what people think about us rather than what God has already declared about us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When God spoke to the universe, when he created light, when he created darkness, when he created every creature, he spoke it into existence. But when he created man, when he created woman, he got down on the ground, he got his hands dirty, and he formed us, and he fashioned us, and he molded us. He took his time. Don't you ever settle for somebody liking your post. Don't you ever get anxious because a man didn't text you back in five minutes. Sister, you are worth more than that. Too many of us, too many of us have settled on likes as the measure, as the measure of our worthiness. And let me tell you, let me take a break for a minute. For those of you who aren't using social media, I got something for you too. Because some people say, well, I'm not on social media. I don't care about the likes. Oh, you don't? Well, that uh, luxury car that you're driving to try to uh, impress your neighbors, uh, that promotion you're trying to get on the job so you can uh, show your colleagues how bad you are. We do many things to get the approval of people. I know people right now who buy things they don't need to get the approval of people they don't even like. And we do it every single day but we do it because we don't understand what we have in the love of God God's love is not just sufficient it is excellent and God came to show us what love can do love doesn't just cover a multitude of sins love can repair broken hearts if you're sitting in here today and you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't really know how God can do that for me. I've done so much. God isn't even, he doesn't even have me on his mind. Let me tell you, honey, God knows every tear that you cry. He knows the number of stars in the sky and every single moment of every single day, he's watching you because he loves you. And I don't ever want you to get it twisted. He loves you. In the eyes of God, you are worth dying for. Sisters, you don't have to do anything special to be worthy. I said it in the first service and I'll say it again. Y'all saw how gorgeous this choir was. I mean, supermodels from left to right, up in all the stands, just gorgeous. But God loves you as much when you are gorgeous as he does when you wake up your eyes in the morning and your breath is as stank as it could possibly be. He loves you. And I need you to know that. There's no amount of prettifying that you have to do for God to love you anymore. 
There's, there's nothing more that you can do. There's nothing more that you have to do. I, I want you to understand that even though the theme of this conference is I am inspired, amazing, and motivated, I just want to take a moment to declare what I am not. I want us to declare I am not a sideshow. I am not for entertainment. I am not for your viewing pleasure. The reason why people followed Simon is because they tickled hit their eyes and they made him, they made him laugh and, and he, he made them feel good about themselves. But no, you are not a sideshow, honey. You are not for entertainment purposes. And I'm going to say this and I want you to catch it. Your body is not on clearance for the price of a compliment. Just because somebody says you are cute doesn't mean they deserve your number. It doesn't mean they deserve to come do Netflix and chill, honey. They do not deserve anything. Until they put a ring on it. What they say, no ring, no ting. No ring, no ting. But we won't get there until we know who we are in God. Our heart is not for entertainment purposes. Too many of us are settling for being liked when God created us to be loved. There is a God-sized void in our heart that only he can fill. Let me tell you something. I have been so blessed. God has accelerated my career. I am 36 years old. I have had multiple executive positions in my life starting at the age of 23 only because of the favor of God. I'm not telling you this to brag. I'm telling you this for a truth. It doesn't matter how high you climb within the corporate world, your emptiness will climb right along with you if you don't fix it. I know women who are extremely successful. I'm talking about presidents of multi-billion dollar organizations who are single and who are with one man after the other. And they are no good and they are no account, but they're chasing after them just to be able to say that they have a man. Let me tell you something. If the man that you have is only having time for you when it's convenient for him, you don't have a man, you have a renter. He is renting you. He is renting you. It is time for us to break some lease agreements today. Break the lease agreement, honey. If you called him the other day and he hasn't called you back, uh-uh, we're not wasting my time. No, 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 no. Break the lease agreement because you are worthy. I love verse 12 because it starts with, but. When they believe Philip, the things concerning the kingdom of God, men and women began to be baptized. It says Simon also believed, and then he was baptized, and he continued with Philip, and he was amazed. He saw the miracles and the signs that were done. The word but signifies a change. What it says is, whatever was said before this, don't even worry about that. Like, that don't even matter. Focus on what I said now. So what it's saying here is, yes, yeah, Simon did all that stuff and people said he was great. But when Philip showed up, power showed up. See, it didn't matter that Simon dazzled people with his tricks. Because when Philip showed up, he had the anointing. He had the Holy Ghost. He had power. He had power to deliver. He had power to set people free. All Simon could do was make people uh, awe and ooh. But when Philip showed up, people changed. 
My sister, God has not called us to entertain people. God has called us to help change people. This is what we have been called to do. We have power on the inside of us. And so many times we take it lightly. If we need prayer, we want to call somebody else to pray for us. If we need something, we want to call somebody else to ask for it. When Jesus said, let that which is in me be in you all. So you don't have to call anybody else for anything else because the Holy Spirit is in you, which means the power of God is in you. We don't need to amass followers and have people looking out, out for us all the time and trying to gauge our worth based on how many people like our posts. It doesn't matter how many followers we have if those followers are not following Jesus through us. We are meant to be vessels of victory. Here's what I want you to know. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. We already have victory. It's already been won. We are not waiting for God to deliver us. We are not waiting for God to change us. God is waiting for us to step into deliverance. God is waiting for us to step into change because it's already happened. It's already happened. A little bit longer. And when Simon saw that through the laying on, of hands the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money. He said, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. If you remember in verse 9, it said that Simon previously practiced sorcery. I thought that was an interesting word, and it's funny because somehow I read through that scripture at least 10 times without ever capturing the word previously. But when God brought that to my attention, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Simon wasn't practicing sorcery here. He had already stopped. There was a point at which he had stopped. But the reason why he was asking to buy the power to give people the Holy Spirit is because he wanted people to think he was great. It wasn't about giving people the Holy Spirit so they would be changed and delivered and set free. He said, I want to have this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Practicing sorcery may have ended, but his need of approval from people for practicing sorcery never ended. So what does that mean for you and I? What that means is we can stop practicing sin, but still have the ramifications of needing approval for the sin that we practiced. This is why we have to get free. This is why we have to get delivered. God did not just come so that we can rest in the likes of people. God came so that we would experience love, unconditional, life-changing, earth-shattering love. That is who our God is. We need a heart transplant, y'all. We don't need people's approval. We need salvation. We need deliverance. We need deliverance from our own insecurities. And the power of God is here today to restore you to a fullness of who you are in God. I'm going to tell you something that God revealed to me in the creation story. When Adam and Eve fell from grace... The question of did they die has been uh, it's been part of a conversation for many years in theology. Well, what does that mean? If they didn't physically die. What does it mean? I believe that when they died, they lost their sense of identity. And so they began to see everything else, the land, their children, their spouse. They began to see everything else as I need these things in order to matter. And that continues today. We look at our job and we look at our house and we look at our cars and we look at our children and we look at our family and that's where we take our worth from. But what God is saying is within me, you are fully sufficient. 
So I want to leave you with a few thoughts. You don't need the approval of people because your worth was established on the cross. Jesus knew every time that you would know what to do and still do the opposite. And yet he still got on that cross for you because he loves you. You don't have to have anybody say you're pretty. You don't have to have anybody say you're successful. You don't need another certificate. You don't need another promotion. God has already declared you fully worthy of life eternal. I see in the church that so many times we get hung up on titles. We get hung up on positions. And what I've come to discover is the reason for that is because we don't know who we are really. And so we need the title and we need the position in order to feel like we got something. But baby, you got something if they just call you Nona. And I'm okay with that. Hey, uh, Sister Nona, amen, hey. Lady Nona, Minister Nona, whoever Nona, I'm just Nona. I'm a child of God. And when we get to the place that we don't flinch and we don't feel weird when somebody doesn't call us a title, then we'll be arrived. Amen. Our worth was established on the cross. Secondly, it's not about leading people to follow us. We have to lead people to follow Jesus. To Jesus. There are many people who may like what you wear, but the question is, do they like who you serve? Do they know who you serve? Because that is what God has called us to do, is to lead people to the cross. And here's the last thing I want you to know. If you are here today and you're saying, you know what, I haven't been in church in a while, or man, I just, I don't know if God could possibly love me because of whatever it is that I've done. I came here just to tell you, one, you can't afford God's love. The price is too high. The price for God's love was giving his only begotten son for you but he felt like you were worth it you can't pay for it but the debt has already been paid and because the debt has been paid I need you to not get so hung up on likes that you overlook the love that God has for you bow your heads with me if you would God we thank you we thank you for your word today father we thank you for calling us all back to a place of wholeness. Your desire is that we would not take our worth from anything on the outside, but that we would know that within ourselves, there is nothing more that we could do. There is no other place that we could go. There is nothing that we could say that would make us any more worthy of you. My prayer today, God, is that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice, within these four walls, God, that does not know you, anyone even watching on the live stream, God, that does not know you, I pray that this opportunity we have here would not go untaken, God. You are extending an opportunity for us to know you as Lord and Savior. You are extending an opportunity for us to return to a place of wholeness. The hearts within us that are broken need to be repaired, and God, you are saying today, my shop is open. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in this hour. And I thank you, God, that you love us enough to not let us settle for just being liked and not just having the approval of men. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.